I'm preaching in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here. This is a day I've been looking forward to for a while. First day of spring. Kind of like accomplishment every other year. Every year we get here. So I have a I have a question for the school children. You can wait till after church to figure this out. But why did Pennsylvania have spring come yesterday and Minnesota had spring come today? This is also Palm Sunday. So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 11. Starting at verse 1 through verse 11. When they had come nigh to Jerusalem under Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye have entered it, ye shall find a colt tied, wherein never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, found the colt tied by the door, without, a, without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. So what can we learn from this little story? Of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. Well, I have seven lessons this morning. I think we can learn from Palm Sunday. Number one, when Jesus has something to do, can he depend on us to do precisely as he asks? Now, if I told one of you here this morning, go to Blooming Prairie, and just as you enter Blooming Prairie, you will find a VW Bug parked by the road. It's going to be blue. It will have come off of a car carrier. It's never been driven on the road. I want you to jump in it. I want you to bring it to church because my car broke down and I don't have any way to get home. 
what would you say? I think I could have a, quite a few reasons not to go to Blooming Prairie and just snatch up a VW bug off the side of the street. And I don't know if there was policemen in these towns or not. I suppose it had to be some kind of law and order. And I would think it could have been risky for them to just go grab a donkey off the side of the street that's tied there and just take it. But if we're a disciple, if we're a true disciple of Jesus, then we're a learner. And if Jesus tells us to do something, I think we would do well to do exactly as he said. Just understanding, I don't understand everything, and I suppose he has something for me to learn here. But if Jesus comes to you, or me, with any job, can he depend on me to do it exactly the way he has? No arguments, no reasoning, no logic, no excuses, no nothing. Just go do it. Well, maybe I don't even understand it all. And maybe the, maybe the risk look high. Can he depend on me to do exactly as he said? Because if we are a disciple, which means a learner, then we must follow strict orders from the teacher. Lesson number two. I'm not sure what all Jesus knew, what he didn't know, because he was in human flesh. But one thing I do know, that God knows everything about everything, everywhere, all the time. That I do know. He knows in detail the situation. He knows in detail the circumstances. And he knows him before we get there. He said, go your way into the village up ahead. And just as you get into the village, he didn't say anywhere in the village, he said, just as you get into the village, you'll find a colt tied. And that colt will never have had a person ride on its back. Just untie him and bring him to me. And if somebody says to you, so what, what's this all about? What are, you, what are you doing? Just tell them, well, the Lord has need of this donkey. And when you say that, they're going to say, oh, okay, take it. Now, there's a lot of things there. If you start doing math and you start calculating what the odds are of all these things happening in sequence, exactly as Jesus told them, 
you know, that the colt wasn't halfway through town, it was the edge of town, or it wasn't the side of town, it was the edge of town, or whether it was tied on a side street, uh, or whether it's on the main street, or whether there's anybody around, or all these things, you start doing mathematical calculations, I mean the odds are just start stacking up every time you add one more, one more detail. What is this? Come on. Apple. It's an apple. Alright. What do you know about this apple? Red. It's red. What else you know about it? Flesh will be white. Okay. Flesh should be white. What else you know about it? It has a stem. It has a stem. Anything else? Seeds in the middle. I didn't catch. Seeds in the middle. Seeds in the middle. You sure about that? Never heard of seedless apple, right? Okay, seeds in the middle. What was over here somewhere? What? They grow on trees. All right. I'm not sure what this is. Don't look like a red delicious. So maybe you would know what that is. Now, if this was a red delicious, and this this apple came from my father's orchard. And it was in a box among 40,000 other bushels of apples. I could walk into that cooler, I could pull down the box, and I could look in that box, and I could tell you a lot about this apple. I could tell you if, it's red, if it was red delicious, it could be one in eight rows in that orchard. I could tell you the brand of the tractor that picked up the box that carried it into the packing house. I could tell you that it was most likely sprayed 15 times. Now what I could not, and I could tell you where it went onto the grader and how it got washed and how there was brushes, and how it went up across the rollers, and how the ladies were on both sides, and they picked the bad ones out, and they put them up there, and they went for cider, and how they went onto this, this grater that was about 10, had 10 cups wide on it, and the apples found themselves on there, and they went down there, and there was a scale at every spot, and it would drop at a certain spot. And I could look at this apple, and I could tell you that that apple would probably come out on the 100 section, which means that 100 apples would be in a bushel. I can tell you that. If I look in that box and this apple was whitish, I could tell you that it was, and, and there was multiple sizes in the box, that this, this apple never went across the grade. I could tell you a lot of things. Now, I could not tell you on which row it came from. I could not tell you on which tree it came from. I could not tell you where on the tree it came from. I could not tell you who picked it. I could give you probably one of 12 names. I could not tell you who picked it. I could not tell you where it was in the apple picking thing. Was it in the bottom when he opened it up and put it into the bin? Was it in the top? 
when he opened it and put it into the bed. I could not tell you who the picker's grandmother was. I could not tell you what the picker's great-great-great-great-grandma got for her sixth birthday and what they ate for lunch. that day. And I could not tell you whether that six-year-old girl was wearing a blue dress or a yellow dress or whether she had shoes, whether she was barefoot. I could not tell you what kind of a horse or a carriage her dad owned. I could not tell you whether the pump that they pumped the water was, was brown or whether it was black. I could not tell you. Oh. A lot of things about this apple. But God knows everything about everything about this apple. You could ask any question that could ever be brought to your mind, and we can all do it together, the most abstract question about this apple, and God could tell you what the answer was. And it would be 100% accurate. Now I need a volunteer. Want the children come up volunteer? Very simple. I will give you this apple. I'm, I'm going to tell you to do something with it. Okay. Here's this apple. All right. Now I want you to give it to somebody in church here. Just go give it to somebody. There you go. Thank you. Now you can sit down. Now, I didn't know who was going to come up for the apple. But God knew. And I didn't know who he was going to give the apple to. But God knew. Now, I don't know if Laverne's going to give the apple to somebody else. Or whether he's going to cut it in half and eat a half of it today, put a little saran wrap, and eat the rest of it tomorrow. One time I saw a, a man take an apple, and we were eating lunch, and he, you know, we eat apple around the circle. You know, anybody eat an apple any other way than around circles? Raise your hand. All right. Well, well, you can't cut it in half. But I'm going to be eating the whole thing. One time I was eating lunch, and this guy got his apple out, and he ate straight through the apple. Never in my life did I see anybody eat straight through an apple. I mean, he ate this side, and when it came to the seeds, and he ate the seeds, and that little fuzzy thing on the end, he didn't have a stem on it, but he ate the fuzzy thing on the end, and he was like, dude, he had this little, little half-round thing that was left, that he was grabbing all of them too, and he popped that in his mouth, and the apple was done. See? God knows whether you're going to eat around the apple, or we're going to eat it straight through, or you're going to cut it in half. What are you going to cook it, and mash it, and put it in a jar, and wait till next year to eat it? I decided, you know, God knows everything, everything, all the time.
Now, if God knows everything about everything, everywhere, all the time, shouldn't I be brave enough to do what he asked me to do? I said, yeah, but, but God, but God, you know, this could happen, and that could happen, and, and I, 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 I'm a little scared, and I, I just don't know if I want to do this or not. Well, but God's already been there. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to be the end of that apple. If he knows what's going to be the end of that apple, couldn't he know what's going to be the end of what he asked me to do? You think that's too hard for him? Shouldn't I be able to trust God to be able to know that God would know what the circumstances are going to be when I get to where he tells me to go. And who the people are, they're going to be there when I get there. They call that faith. That's a lesson that I need to learn. And I really need to learn it bad. Because if I don't, I will live out my life in fear. I will be stressed to the max all the time. If I do not believe that God knows everything, everywhere, all the time. So they went their way and they found the colt tied by the door. Just like Jesus said. Well, wasn't I wonder if I was a surprise to them. Do you ever got God asked you to do something and and oh man, you know, it's like why did I do this for? Like why did he ask me to do this? This is like over my head. I mean, I'm way out of my comfort zone. But then when it's all done, you say, "Well, well, that was not bad after all. <laughs> In fact, it was about half fun. That's the way Mary Sue and I felt cast last year. It's like, we're talking on the way over. It's like, why did we do this for? Why? Did we? And on the way home, we say, well, yeah, now we know why we did it. It was, yeah, yeah the first couple of days, just kind of over your head and like trying to. But, but yeah, it was, it was very enjoyable, whatever. And, and that could, that's just a personal illustration. Lesson number three. Jesus looked for a donkey, not a horse. Jesus never looked for things that made him popular or tempted him to be proud. Can I say that? No. So 
sorry. I can't say that. Did I get caught in asking for things that would make me look good or add to my pride that I already have a problem with? My brother Arvin was somewhere, I'm not sure where. So this man come up to him and this brother, this preacher, uh, the preacher came up to him and he said, so, uh, so he said, how is pride manifesting your church? I like that for a question. Now, he didn't say, is pride manifest in your church? He just said, how is it? Because the truth of the matter is, we're not free from pride. Never will, never have, and never will. That's part of our old human nature. That's part of the gift that we got for a birthday present. And so the question is not, is there pride in Dennis Martin's life or prayer congregation? The question is, how is it evidenced and how is it taken care of? Or is it being taken care of? Jesus knew that the greatest people in the kingdom of God will be the humble people. Not the people who are looking for horses, the ones that are looking for donkeys. Jesus also knew that whatever he rode to town on did not make him a better man or a worse man. See, he could rode on a horse, prancing and whatever, just the way the army people did then. The horse was a symbol of military might. The donkey was a symbol of a common person. Except if the donkey was white. Then that was, I don't know how many white donkeys there was, but evidently it's unusual. But if you had a white donkey, then, uh, let me see, who, white, who rode on white donkeys? Royalty would ride on white donkeys. But not to war. Okay. A horse represented war. Donkeys represented peace. Do what I look for. Always represent peace. Can I humble myself? Jesus said, this thing don't work the way the Gentiles work it. This thing works the way I work it. And that is that the greatest people are going to be the servants. They're the people that are riding the donkeys. Lesson number four. He said, uh, If any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say, unto, say that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he, straightway he will send him hither. In other words, the Lord needs him just for a short time, and then he's going to give it back. 
don't, don't worry about this thing getting out of your hands. It's like, I think the NIV says, um, do, do, do. oh, yeah. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. That's what the NIV says. Lesson number four, whatever we give to God is not a lost cause. Never a lost cause. Jesus says, whatever you give to me, I'll guarantee you, you will get back more than what you gave. Now, we don't give just to get more. Because that's not truly giving. That's just loaning. It's like, I'll give you whatever, and it's very selfishly motivated. We don't do it that way. But Jesus said, you cast your bread on the waters, it'll come back to you after many days. He says, if you give up houses and lands for me, he said, I, I will give you over and over and over more than what you gave. Now, he didn't say he's going to give houses and lands back, but he said he's going to give some. You're going to get something back. It's not wasted. Whatever we give to God, God will reimburse us with multiple blessings beside. That does not say that if you threw $10 in the offering that you're going to get 20 back. That's not what it says. And that's not what I'm saying. So, if Jesus asks us for something, are we going to say, without argument, that's fine. Take it. Do I realize that my lowliest possession in the hands of Jesus Christ brings glory in ways that I don't even understand? And I thought of the widow's two mind. Like, she could go home and say, you know what? Man, I, I, I just wish. I, I just wish. You know, if I had more, I would give more. And, and from the bottom of her heart, and just say, you know, I wish I could give like other people. But you know what? That's not the way it was. She gave what she had. And it glorified Jesus. Jesus looking around. He says, you know, all these people around here, they're, they're doing good. But, you know, it's that lady there that threw in two mites. Ah, she's my kind of a lady. And do I understand that when God asked for me, he's actually asking something that belonged to him all along. Because I don't know anything. I'm just a steward. God says, okay, Dennis, uh, here, here's, here's this or that, whatever it is. And he says, you know, you, you can have it. You can use it. You, you can take care of it. But remember, it's mine. So God has quite a few uh, vehicles out here in the driveway, doesn't he, this morning? Right? 
You know God owns so many cars, did you? What is my response when God says, I have need of them, or I have need of it? Now, that, that's, that's a strange, that, that is a strange statement that I, I, I'm not sure I can explain to you this morning, because God is so self-sufficient, God is, he, he don't even need anything, Right? If he needed something, he would be less than God. Because it would be something lacking. So I don't understand this. I don't understand. Maybe it has something to do with language, translation. I don't understand all this. But, but Jesus made a statement. The Lord has need of his donkey. If the Lord has need of donkey, now I don't want to inflate anybody's ego here this morning, but if the Lord has need of a donkey, He certainly has need of me. And He certainly has need of you. I can't say, well, Lord don't have need of me. You hear that these days. You know, it's like, well, my, I just can't do anything. You know, it's all Jesus. I just can't do anything. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No. God doesn't have anything lacking, but he needs us to represent Jesus Christ in the world today, in the world around us. If I'm not willing to do whatever he says, if I'm not willing to say whatever he wants me to say, if I'm not willing to go wherever he wants me to go, who's going to do it? Number five. Jesus knew that the praise of man is only temporary. I wonder, I just wonder. I sat in my chair in my, in my study, and I just wonder, what was going through the mind of Jesus? Now, if everybody in prairie starts saying, Boy, Dennis, you're wonderful. Yeah, you're wonderful. Great. You're just such the best preacher in the world and all this stuff. And I didn't know what's going to happen next Saturday. Well, I might think that. Well, well yeah, maybe I, maybe I'm okay. I, you know, I didn't realize that I was the best preacher in the world. But you know, if they say so, maybe I am. But Jesus, see, this this is the Sunday is called Palm Sunday, but it's also called Passion Sunday. So I wonder what was going through the mind of Jesus. when he knew what was going to happen next week. Because this was the beginning of Passion Week. And we know what all happened there between Palm Sunday and the Resurrection. We're well acquainted with that. And he knew it. And I just wondered 
What was going through his mind? They said, Hosanna, which means rescue us or save now. What did they expect from their king? They expected deliverance from the Romans. <laughs> Save us now. Come on. Let's be, go ahead and be king and take care of all of our problems now. What do you expect from Jesus? You expect Jesus is going to take care of all your problems now? See, we have people that preach that. Except Jesus, he'll take care of all your problems. Really? Why don't they talk about the death experience at the end of the road? What I have to go through in order to please God. In order to be his child. Do I realize that in order for me to be saved, I've got to take a trip to death and I've got to take that trip on purpose? Someone said when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it was the most expensive trip in history. Now you think about that. Cost money to go on vacation. Well, you know, you go to California or Oregon or whatever, you want to fly around the world or something. Man, you got to be shelling out some money. 600 bucks for an airplane ticket. Or, or you keep pulling up to the pump. You keep pulling up to the pump. Pulling up to the pump. you got to go to the rest, restaurant. Get something to eat. you got to get a motel. And, and, and they only leave four people in a room anymore. So if you got children, you got two motels. Or maybe whatever. And it's 200 bucks a night. And you just keep shelling out this money and shelling out this money on this trip. But Jesus took the most expensive trip that anyone ever took. Because it costs the life of the son of, son of God. The most extravagant gift, but the most costly trip. Because his trip to death gave us life. And the sobering fact this morning is, if I do not take the trip to death, People around me will not find life either through my, through my life. If I'm not crucifying myself. And Paul says, you know what? I, you know, I would think Paul would be on top of it most of the time. Maybe he would only have to die to self once a week. You know, something didn't go quite right and he just had to die to self. You know, he, he, he was such a great man and such a great preacher and, you know, he understood all these things. But Jesus, Paul said, I have to die daily. Every day. I gotta die. If I die to sin and I live for God, and I do exactly what God wants me to me, wants if I do exactly what God wants me to do, if I am what God wants me to be, I must realize that if there is praise of man, if that would happen to happen. It would be brief at temporary. It would be brief at best.
But see, as I die daily, it opens up the possibility that someone else can find Christ. Folks, this morning, that throws a lot of responsibility on me. I don't know how you feel about that. If I'm willing, unwilling to die on purpose, and I don't know about, anybody, I don't know about you here this morning, but I don't die on purpose. If something ain't going right and I have to give up some whatever, whatever it is, maybe somebody says something bad or Maybe it's some aspiration that I have that's not happening or whatever. And, you know, i got to say, Dennis, you got to die to that thing. And i got to go there on purpose. Because if I don't, it just keeps feeding itself. And I go lower and lower and lower till I'm like a snake's belly in a wagon rut. More and more discouraged. See, Dennis, you got to die to that thing. You've got to die to it. You've got to put it behind you. It's got to be on purpose. Number six. How deep does my praise of Jesus go? How deep does it go? There was certainly nothing wrong with saying, Hosanna to the highest. And all the things they did, they put the clothes on the street, they put the palm branches down and honored him as king, who he was, as royalty. Am I an enthusiast or am I the disciple? See, there's a world of difference. We have emotion. God gave us emotion. But our commitment to Jesus Christ got to go past emotion. Will my praise of Christ stand the test of public opinion? Will I still be praising Christ six days from now when things don't look pretty? And Jesus is taking a bad rap. Can I still praise him? Will my praise be there when Christ is unpopular? Oh, it's easy to praise God. You go to church on Sunday morning. A little bit different when you get on the job. Number seven. It says he went to the temple. And I don't know what all happened there. It, it just seems... I would say he was scoping it out. You ever heard that word? Just go and just scope something out. Just kind of, ahead of time, just kind of see what's going on. And, you know, if you ask to do something somewhere and you have a group of people... You just, yeah, well, I don't really want to make all my decisions there right away. So, you know, if you're asked to be, say, cook at a wedding or something, and so you go there the evening before. Maybe they didn't tell you you had to, but you go there the evening before, and you say, like, okay, how many pots and pans are here, and, you know, and how many 
this and that, and like, okay, we have this help, so they would be probably chopping lettuce, and, and we put this, you know, here, and, and then kind of the people would come through here, so it has to be here, and then we'd have a service here, and, and you know, and just kind of scoping it out. So, I don't know why, it doesn't say why he went. It says he went to the temple. What's it exactly say here? When he had looked around about upon all things. So he went in and he checked the temple out. Now, I don't know if there's anybody who was even there. Did they have church service in the evening every day? I don't know. But he went in and he looked all around the temple. And then he went with disciples to where? Um, to Bethany. He went to Bethany. So he went to the temple and looked around. Looked around about upon all things. So, question I have this morning. It, it doesn't say why Jesus looked around. But if Jesus came to prairie and looked around about upon all things, what would he say? Now, we got some clue what was probably going through his mind when he was done looking around. Because the very next day he came and he cleaned that place out. He cleansed the temple. It could be that there was nobody there, but he saw the stands, and he saw the money changers, and he saw the place where they did all this stuff. And he wasn't happy. He didn't like what he saw. And he knew that he had a job yet to do. It wasn't an easy job, but he knew he had to do it. So if Jesus came to prayer and he looked around, would he be happy? Or God forbid that he would say, you know what? I need a clean house. I don't think he would think that. Would he see godliness? Would he see purity? Would he see a house of prayer? Would he see love? I hope he would. He would be satisfied with what he sees. But if he isn't satisfied, am I willing to do what it takes to correct that so that if Jesus came to pray next Sunday, he would like what he saw?